0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. It's Mohotra again at Straight Talk. We have yet again a wonderful guest on the show, someone who I actually discovered on social media, believe it or not, and I was captivated by the way she responded to a very provocative question related to diversity, inclusion, belonging, and her personal story, and just the approach that she took to um, looking at diversity in such a positive, yet realistic way and therefore i reached out to her she kindly obliged and she's now on our show i'd like to welcome uh, the very special leader and thinker uh, reshma ramachandran to the, the show today reshma how are you
1: thank you so much for having me and i feel like really awesome to do this straight talks
0: wonderful and we feel awesome to have you on the show now uh, you know we we spend a lot of time talking about you because uh, i think the personal story is so important It tends to create the pathway to help us understand why you think the way you think, why you do what you do today, and how you envision the future. So before I go into your job role and what you're doing in your life today, which I'm absolutely going to delve into, tell us a little bit about who who is uh, Reshma and what is Reshma doing in Switzerland? And tell us a bit about your background. How did you get to where you have got
1: to? Uh, so uh, let me let me start really at the beginning. So I was born in India in a rural part of India and I grew up in India. Uh, I moved out of India in, uh, when I was about 21, 22, uh, and for the past twenty odd years I've been living outside of India. And Switzerland is, if you ask me why I'm in Switzerland, it's one of those countries that have lived, of the thirteen countries that have lived across the thir- thirteen continents. Uh, sorry, three continents, 13 countries in three continents, uh, and it's uh, it's the curiosity that has brought me to different places that I have lived in. Um, by education, I'm an engineer, and if you ask me what is it that I define myself, who I am, I would say the first thing that I would say is um, I'm a mom. So I'm a mom to a teenager. Um, I'm the I've married my best friend, so it's hard for me to say I'm the wife to my best friend, but. Uh, it's it's more friendship than a, a marriage in the strict sense. Uh, and me as a person, I just love everything that is unknown. So I like change. I like everything that is unknown. And, you know, fear zone kind of gives me the adrenaline.
0: Right, right. Wonderful. So so you, w- which part of India are you from when you say rural India?
1: So I'm from the south. It's a state called Kerala. Of course uh, And I grew up in the rural part of Kerala, so it's not one of those big cities that you would have heard of.
0: Okay, The highest level of literacy, very, it's a very advanced community, um, Kerala, I and mean, I spent quite a bit of time in Kerala. And uh, the backwaters, of course, and, and the beautiful uh, foods, and uh, what a spectacular environment. I, I mentioned that because I think the ecosystem that you're uh, born in, the culture and the environment that you've been groomed in defines your values, right? And uh, your belief system and your moral compass to a large extent, which then of course evolves over a period of time. And uh, I guess you've traveled the world, you've been everywhere across these 13 countries and three continents. And uh, tell us a little bit about why you decided to come out of India. And what was the what was the trigger? I ask? Because we have so many amazing people who are migrants who've gone from one part of the world to the other and gone back again and traveled back again. So that sort of ambidexterity that you build in skill set, in, in thinking, that you, you become so um, you know malleable and so adaptable to the situation around you, which is it's hard to it's hard to say that you know many around you have the same abilities. And the, the byproduct of you moving back and forth allows you to be so so flexible in this disruptive environment that we're all talking about um, so vehemently. So tell me a little bit about why what got you over. So what was the compelling event, should I say?
1: So the, honestly, there was no compelling event, nor was there a big plan in terms of, you know, this is what I'm going to do after I finished my education. I joined the, uh, the organization that sponsored my education. So again, my, my, I don't come from a lot of money. So my parents probably could have afforded, you know, you never know. But mm. I had a scholarship and I joined the organization that sponsored my education. Once I joined the organization, it was all about like learning. And I think for me, what is really important, and if you would also uh, ask, you know, what is the advice I would give to my younger self is probably I could have learned more. So learning comes actually out of the comfort zone and out of beyond the fear zone. So moving outside of India was primarily to learn. Uh, and I was uh, the, the first country that I moved outside of India was Middle East, which was quite a, let's say, coming from Kerala again, you know, it was quite a known place in that sense, although I had ne- never even taken a flight before that in my life. Uh, it was because of a job opportunity and there was a huge learning opportunity in that, uh, in that new role. Right. Uh, but then one thing led to the other and every time i have moved and you are right i think not many people do it because you know you want everything to be uh, planned you want to see the end you when you are at a, at a you want to see z yeah can i pause for a second and oh, sure. sorry i'm so sorry yeah. about the lights. yeah that's
0: okay no worries <clears throat> so sorry about the lights it's
1: that's okay, uh, voice.
0: Uh, that's why we don't do. It. That's why we don't do it live anymore. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's all good. We've got yeah. To...
1: And tennis does the magic after.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Go ahead. You and flow.
1: Yeah. So. So. Um, I, 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 what. What I was saying is, you know, everyone wants to know the end, and I think for me, it is never know about knowing the end. It's about the journey. So one thing, it was really one thing led to the other. And Switzerland also, you know, one of the most beautiful countries in the world. It just happened by chance because everything was not planned out. We came and uh, we moved to Switzerland without even knowing the language, the official language was German. Uh, and everything just panned out uh, simply because you're willing to take the challenge then and say, you know, it's all about learning. There, is, there are no mistakes, there are no failures. You actually learn on the go.
0: Mm, mm, fantastic so let's take that theme just for a moment and we'll go down in, in different alleyways but let's stay with learning for a second so when you consider learning and you think about this um, idea and a notion perhaps for some but for some re- reality which is lifelong learning you know, constantly learn constantly learn constantly grow and it's interesting because we're in the midst of uh, actually, I'm I'm focused right now on, on understanding the human psychology of the Gen Z. Right, a generation that we have to study, we have to understand, we have to respect, we have to love and support, because they become the next uh, generation of leaders. They become the future that we are so banking, and a good future, and a better future, a more human future, and that's a consensus around the world. You know, so. When you think about your work, and now we'll, we'll talk a bit about your work, so you're in this incredible field of people and talents, and it is such an incredible field because the world of talents and skills has changed so much, not just because of the pandemic. I mean, that, of course, is a catalyst to a large degree. I think as new generations are born and created, they, I feel they're upgraded models, right? We're operating on you know, Windows, and they're running on the blockchain. And uh, the Windows people can't figure out what the the blockchain is. And the blockchain think that the Windows people are so behind the curve, they still have to press the button to turn the the, the PC on or the computer on. And and we use PCs, they use VR, AR and so on and so forth. So it's like chalk and cheese. You know, you've got two types of code that just don't match each other. Speaking in technology language, that is. So you need a translation or a middle layer of some sort. And we're all trying to figure it out. I mean, you know, the boomers, the millennials. I'm a millennial myself. I have two young kids very young, of course, they're Gen Alpha. So that's a, that's, a, that's a whole different conversation. Tell me a little bit about your experience as a leader in the talent industry. What are the big things that you're seeing that uh, concern you first? And then we'll talk about what elevates you, what excites you, but what worries you right now when it comes to the world of talent?
1: So uh, very simply put, what concerns me, what worries me the most is you know, the shelf life of skills. So I would say before pandemic, we thought the shelf life of skills was about anywhere between five to seven years. And you rightly said that pandemic was kind of the catalyst. I would say it was more like an accelerator. The shelf life of skills has dramatically come down. Now, it's if you get a skill that's like valid for three years, you're lucky. So this is something that concerns me the most because, you know, a lot more and, uh, and the longevity of people has gone up so there's a lot more of people who can be in the workforce but what about skills what if you don't have skills what if you have outdated skills so organizations across the world are grappling with this issue of how do I upskill my people and sometimes it's as simple as upskilling sometimes you need to completely reskill your people and the talent scarcity is something that is like staring at us in the face so this is something that I would say is 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 a point to worry, a topic to worry or for concern, what excites me is the possibilities that come with it. Uh, Because when I talk about the possibilities, you know, we have, again, as I said, the longevity has gone up, right? So if you take a typical organization today, you see about five generations working there. So you actually have a very varied skill set, people who are on the, the end of the career to people who are the alphas of this world. Uh, who come in and, you know, there are 13-year-olds who are working, right? So uh, it could be gigs. People are coming in as early as maybe even 10, 11 years. So you have an entire spectrum of experience. You have an entire spectrum of mindset. You have an entire spectrum of how you look at things, generally the diversity of thoughts. So that's what excites me because this is also the unlock for innovation. If you have diversity of thoughts, you know, again, as you as you said about your kids, I have a teenager who does not think like me. So imagine having a teenager to someone who is like, you know, 85, all of who are in the workforce today, very, very diverse thoughts.
0: Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that. So like a teenager, like your child or any other teenager, because they're a fascinating cohort, really a fascinating cohort. And I think when you look at parents around the world, they're struggling to, to understand and manage the typical teenager of today. And that's been the case throughout history. It's not as if you know parents haven't struggled to manage teenagers. I think the readiness of our generation of the parental generation to try and figure out what can they do for their child to help the child be the best version of themselves or to grow or live up to their potential and so on. I think that whole model is different now. And I say that because you know I grew up in a traditional system. I'm 44 now. I grew up in a system. I was the last, I guess, generation. My my friends and family were much younger. Like my niece and nephew call me a geriatric because they're like, oh, you just don't understand, uncle. You know, you you don't you don't understand. And I and I I work with young people all the time, and so you know, I have to work damn hard to prove that I'm actually worthy of some form of status in their world. And nevertheless. They, uh, they're a generation that will seek a different type of employment. They're a generation, it's clear, right, that they have different expectations from the organization that they will work with, not for, work with, and the leader who will coach them or support them in their endeavors. And they would want to do what they want to do and enjoy doing, not doing the boring stuff. And when I grew up, I was told to put my head down, do the boring stuff. Was, oh, it's all, you know, you've got to do the boring stuff as well. That's what shapes you. Oh, you've got to struggle as well. Uh, heck, I pushed trolleys in, in supermarkets when I was 15, right? To make my pocket money. I shudder to think that any of the any of the children these days would even bother doing that. They'd be like, well, oh, that's just unnecessary. I'll go on YouTube and monetize my brand, right? But very, I'll just you know, very different generation. And in your opinion, how does the, um, the world of, of placement, how, you know, when you're, ser- when you're searching for a job or a job is searching for you, um, could be the other way around too, in fact, how do you guys then look at um, candidate profiling? and you know where i'm going to go with this eventually uh, but let's start with candidate profiling and we're using gen z as an example so how do you then let skills you talk about skills i mean a young person the gen z may or may not have the skills technical and or uh, soft skills in an official certified way but how do you then augment your diagnostics to say actually they've got super talent actually they've got the gift of the gab actually they've got you know zeal and determination and passion that's what a big company really wants Talk me through how you're changing and how search is changing, how people are going out there and and diagnosing jobs and filtering candidates differently.
1: Yeah, so, so before I get into, you know, how, how does the diagnostics of the assessment itself looks like and works, I think you mentioned a very, very important point in terms of how uh, we, we spoke about skills, how the shelf life of skills has come down, right. how job or employment market itself is changing. If I take my parents, both of them who were working, you know, started with the same uh, uh, organization and retired from the same organization. For them, it was a big shock when I actually left the organization that I joined after about seven years because, you know, they could not have imagined that. And today we talk about gen Cs who are not even talking about being employed with an organization. It's more like, you know, as you rightly said, what interests me, what attracts me. And I'm just this is the whole gig economy. Right. I just do parts of what uh, interests me. So from a hiring or from a search point of view, I think what has dramatically changed is exactly this. How do you actually find people who are exactly matched or suited to the job profile, the parts of the job profile? It's probably not even the full job profile, parts no. of the job profile. Okay. So here there are two parts. One I would say, you know, for jobs where we still need the skills itself. So when I t- t- say skills, you know, take coding, for example. Right. You would you wouldn't actually, especially when you're looking for coders, you are actually not going to take people who are not, not have no idea about what coding is. And I will come to that in a bit, you know, how do you develop skills Then you hire people, you take them on the bench and you uh, uh, develop them into what you want them to be. But let's take a normal situation where you have a job or a profile and, you know, you have certain skills that is required, uh, which could be coding is just an example. But then beyond that, what you're also looking for is, you know, what's the purpose? And this is also the reason why Gen Zs are looking for matching their purpose to the purpose of the organization. So it's not just that, you know, again, I take, take my parents as an example and probably some parts of us, our generation as well, right? We did not think so much about what's our purpose versus what is the purpose of the organization. We always looked at, okay, there is a job, our skills match, you know, how much uh, compensation we get. And we took the job. But the Gen Cs or the next generation is very different. It's not just the the skills and the motivation, but it's also the whole purpose of the organization that needs to align with them. And coming to the second part in terms of what happens when you can't find the skills in the market. How do you develop those? This is also where I think the lifelong learning comes into play. So do you, do you hire someone you know, who's got a very fixed mindset and say, I, I bring certain set of values, a certain set of skills and that's it and I'm not willing to push myself forward? Or do you actually hire people who have the growth mindset who say, listen, I don't have it today, but you know what, I can learn it. So these are the two uh, uh, segregations it would make when it comes to candidate hiring itself.
0: Understood. That's great. That's a great way of actually breaking it down. And so when you think about this area of development, then, so, you know, let's imagine I'm a young person, and I've been discovered, or you've discovered me, or whatever it may be. And I don't have those essential skills. And there's a job profile. Um, and, I, and I'll come to the job profile in a second, because I, I think, you know, um, maybe they need to change quite a lot as well. You know, because they're, the, they're, they're the people who are writing those. I mean, you may be writing them, say so you're writing them really well. But the ones that we've analyzed and we we study listed companies in a lot of detail, they seem trite. They seem the same old kind of job roles with a few new words, of course, and a few new titles, and maybe purpose is thrown in there as well. You know, like in the old days, vision was thrown in there, and mission was thrown in there, Now our purpose is thrown in there. And you always see the green word or the climate word, a bit of the diversity thing thrown in. But actually, does it ooze? Uh, emotion does it really bring to life who you are and i've seen some amazing ones as well by the way and um sadly only from the big tech titans which are about stories so you know um let's tell you a story about reshma reshma is an engineer in this and then of course you get captivated by the story everyone does so um before we go into job roles and stuff let's talk a little bit about how do you help develop someone who doesn't know that they need developing or doesn't know what they don't know
1: yeah. So, you know, I'm going to take the example of Switzerland, because one of the things that I absolutely love about Switzerland is the whole apprenticeship model. OK. So when you're about uh, 12, 12 years of age, um, you know, you you some some of them, some of the 12 year olds have a generally an idea of what they want to do and some of them don't. Mm-hmm. Right. So how do you actually expose them to different Uh, different jobs so that they can make up their mind so Switzerland has got this yearly thing called the futures day where you know you can actually go and kind of shadow people in their jobs and then once you are uh, once you're older than 12 I think it's about 12 to 14 you can also do a week uh, of internship it's unpaid but you know you go and the idea is that you go and shadow the jobs that you like Uh, then you make up your mind but even then you don't have the skills so you, you can take, again, multiple paths. You can actually go to uni- university and you can learn the skills, which is what most of us did. But in Switzerland, there is another part, which is an apprenticeship. So you can actually join a job. And I, I, I give the example of bank. You know, if you're a teller, if you are a, uh, um, a customer uh, executive uh, for a high net worth individual, for instance, You know, you can actually uh, uh, do your apprenticeship. So you do kind of three days a week uh, uh, apprenticing for this job or interning for this job, which is also paid. And two days a week, you actually go to university to uh, learn the, the theory part of it and i think it's a great model so in my in my past uh, with my past employer we are all we had also experimented that in the us because in the swiss switzerland or the swiss job market it works not everywhere apprenticeship is looked in the right way i think that society is where you look down right. upon it yeah, yeah, and absolutely. i think the, and i think the way to go is to say that you know especially when the uh, shelf life of skills is so so short the way to go is to say you know how do you actually get talent in just raw talent in and you know you and i we could be interns and we could go and actually shadow these jobs and uh, tomorrow you know or in 6 months in a year we could actually become pros at those
0: fantastic so this it's a great concept the future day uh, bringing apprentices into the business. I mean, we have a scheme like that here in the UK. Some of the other Western economies have it as well. But I think the, the um, deployment of that scheme, the execution of that scheme is where, you know, you either you see the impact or you don't uh, at the end of the day. So it's great that you've got that. So tell me, tell me about this job role thing. So employers, because I hear so much from employers, you know, all of these globally listed companies, CEO down, the general you know, mantra from these organizations is what you and I will know that we should hear, right? The same the same old stuff. And I'm not trying to be cynical about it. I'm trying to look at it in a very objective way, which is, that's great on one hand. On the other hand, let's look at the real sort of changes that you're making in your organization. And we'll now go into a path and swim in a lane that you really want to swim in, uh, which is related to um, transformation. Right. So the first part of this transformation, I want to talk about these job roles. Right. So it's a very fundamental thing because it's not just about the creation of a document. And well, I have a vacancy and let's just define it and get someone for it. How are you seeing that that uh, outreach? It's an outreach to plea to someone to say, I have this opportunity. You would be so good for it. Right. And luckily, we have human beings still doing this. I'm a big believer of human beings as much as I love AI because I'm a technologist. I do think that being human is terribly important in this world where we're so overshadowed and consumed by disruptive technologies. As much as I love them, I fear them to a large degree as well, right? So uh, tell me a bit about what you're seeing in the market. Are these big companies actually changing the way they reach out to candidates? Um, And if so, to what degree?
1: So there is definitely a change. Uh, for sure. And I think it goes down to the root cause of there is a talent scarcity. So everyone is like vying for the same talent. So if there right. is a candidate who is absolutely fantastic and, you know, uh, all these tech companies, for instance, or multiple companies are vying for the same talent, how do you appeal to that candidate? And this is where I think it's, it goes beyond the job role. Uh, it goes to the culture of the organization. And this is what I was telling you uh, in the beginning. It right. also goes to the purpose. So one is like, you know, and and if I take EDECO as an example, the organization that I work with, uh, when I uh, decided to move out of my past employer, I had about five job offers. And it was not a question of the compensation. You know, anyone would have met that had I played them against each other. For me, it was a question of, okay, I have a value and a value system. How much does it actually sync with the values and value system of the employer? Because I if I, my value system did not sync with my employer, today I can't sit and talk to you what I think because there's always a conflict of interest. So for when I joined Edeco, it was making the future work for everyone. And this is something that I truly believe in because this is also the way I grew up. So I I, I grew up in the rural part of India where you know, opportunities were not there. It was not a question of, you know can you have something or not? Just opportunities were not there. So when I looked at the purpose of Edeco, which was making the future work for everyone, independent of where you came from, independent of what you have studied, independent of what you wanted to do, this sat with my value system. This sat with my own purpose. So I think it's beyond to, to your question of, you know how do you go out and reach to the same talent that most companies are vying for? It's not just the job part, the job requirement itself, or what do you do on the job? It's also a question of what comes with the job. Earlier, we used to think only about compensation. We only used to think about perks. I don't think that's that's valid anymore. Flexible working, you know. Think about and we we have seen surveys, even on LinkedIn we have surveys, and we have seen uh, research that is published. You know, if if you an employer asks you to come to office, sixty seven percent of the people do not want to take up that job. Flexible working is very important. It's got nothing to do with compensation. So I think beyond what you're going to do on a daily basis, what comes with it, the culture of the organization, the purpose of the organization, what the organization stands for, that's important. And I think more and more, I see more and more companies are reaching out in the sense of telling the story of the organization. Mm
0: -hmm. That's powerful, Rishma. And I think it's good to hear that, because um, that's what gives us hope. That's what really gives us hope. And so now let's go down a pathway which is related to um, the discovery of uniqueness of each one of us, you, me, and others. We tend to call it diversity these days. And uh, it's a domain that is being thankfully debated and discussed a lot. And under whatever banner, whether it's the ESG banner, whether it's an individual campaign from a company, whether it's a, you know, a governmental approach to equality and fairness and so on and so forth. I think it's great that it's happening the way it is. And there are some skeptics out there on one side, as you know, and there are some big believers and fanatics on one side, right? And a bunch of us in the middle as well. So, and that makes it special. So your experience, again, this is straight talk, your experience as a a woman leader who is um a person of color right tell us a little bit about the the journey that you've been on and please be open with us you know be vulnerable if you can Uh, and i'm happy to do the same I, i i don't want to go and unpick the past that's not what this is about because we're not just looking at you know the horrible things but i think some anecdotes are important and then I'd like to talk about what we could do to make things better outside of the noise that is so loud. outside. you know, it's not musical anymore. I'm a musician as well, by the way. So the harmony is gone. All of the they say in the Indian language, the sur, the notes is missing for me. So it's distorted now. And so I've got my own way of trying to bring the musical factor back in, the nice notes back in. Tell us about the, some of the experiences of the past to wake us up, and then tell us a little bit about how you want to envision the future, how things are getting better for you, and for others.
1: Yeah, so again, I'm, I'm going to go back to the beginning. So you 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 portrayed Kerala as a very beautiful place, you know, backwaters, amazing food. Uh, it's also called the God's Own Country. And I think one of the things that people don't uh, probably realize is Kerala is also a very matriarchal community. So the, the family name goes forward through the, the daughters and not through the sons, which is a big change, right? Which is a huge shift in how you think. So I grew up amongst uh, women who were strong-headed, for want of a better word, you know, who were strong-willed. All of them were working. All of them had jobs. I've seen them juggle, you know, the motherhood and uh, their careers, but all of them made it work. So in my mind, when I started, there was absolutely no doubt uh, that I belonged there. I belong in a career world, not a job world, not not a nine to five. And, you know, you're supplementing your husband's income. No, I I believed in having an equal seat at the table. And to to when I started, you know, I was one of the first uh, women to join in a technical role. So I was an engineer. I was one of the first women to join in that role. So that was kind of uh, uh, my first reality check where, you know, certain jobs, certain jobs were just not for women for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And I was the first woman from the organization that I worked for to go to Middle East. And this was a huge fight for me because I wanted to go, that was a clear path to career progression. And it was it was always like protected for men uh, since it's an everything is unknown. So you don't want, and again, the patriarchal benevolence, right? You don't want to expose someone you like to the hardships. Um, and that, that, that was kind of like, I would say the first reality check. Um, And once you move to the Western world, you know, suddenly you realize that uh, a, a community that you had grown up where you were majority, you're suddenly a minority. So it's not just the woman. You are also a woman of color. So people tend to look at you very differently. There are certain things. And I always say this, you know, I've never had an equal starting point. I've always had to start zero. Even today, with 22 years of my professional experience behind me, where I've had so many accomplishments, even now, when I actually go for a job interview, uh, there's at least someone who asks me, tell me what exactly have you done? And this is not a question a white man would ever get, because his credentials are good enough, right? So there is discrimination, and there is bias, and I don't want to mince words about it. There is discrimination and there is bias. And I think, you know, for me personally, had I known this 22 years back when I started my professional career, I'm not saying things would have been different. Things would have definitely been the same, but I would have been better prepared. So up until about, I would say, even seven, eight years back, you know, when, when something, especially racism, uh, sexism hits you, there are days when I've cried. I I just didn't know how to re- how else to respond. You are angry, you have emotions, and you just... What comes out is actually tears. Today, if you take take, a, I experience the same thing. So I'm not saying my experiences are different, but I'm stronger. And in terms of, so this is the past, and you you you're absolutely right. I don't think we should ponder too much over the past. What's the future? So the future, personally for me, like I'm prepared. I know there'll be biases. I know there'll be discrimination. I know there'll be people who ask me, "What exactly have you done? What exactly can you contribute?" And I'm prepared for those answers. But also, I think what has fundamentally changed or phenomenally changed for me is I'm in a position of power. So what is it that I can do for people who come after me? I don't want a single person, especially a woman of color, who comes after me to go through the same things that I go through or I went through. So how can I actually make it different for them? So this is where I believe in the future. There are a lot more of us and take, take the top 10 tech companies in the world. Eight of them have Indians as CEOs. People of colour. What can we do to make it better for the people who come after us?
0: Mm -hmm. Brilliant. And um, I think what is so important as you draw out the future as well, and you used the word possibilities earlier on in your your discourse, and that's what this is about. It's about the possibilities of what could one do? What could we do collectively together to, to make this environment better? and not perfect, because it never will be the sort of perfect that we want it to be, because of a thousand of reasons. It's complex. How do we create an environment where, you're right, the next generation, we talked about the Gen Z, the next generation of people aren't dealing with the same issues that we've grappled with, albeit looking different and shaped differently and morphed into something different, but actually it's the same damn thing all over again. And, uh, you know tell me a little bit about the solutions then so let, let's say you had a magic wand you know and i give it to you now you've got 25 seconds to use it you've got as many wishes as you want in in this context what would you actually do let's just be a little bit bold and imaginative creative let's drop all our biases what should actually be fixed uh,
1: i i'm not so sure a magic wand is going to solve that so <laughs> i'd be a little more pragmatic on that see
0: uh,
1: um an organization is a reflection of the society. Yeah. So, you know, if you're in a patriarchal society, you actually see organizations being patriarchal. If you are in a white-dominated society, you actually see an organizations being white-dominated. Absolutely. So put that together, and we, we live in a Western world uh, coming from completely different origins. Um, so you have a white uh, society with patriarchy organizations are just reflection of it. So there needs to be a lot. So we always talk about organizations because it is more constrained and more confined. So if you take you know, any organization from 5,000 people to uh, 300,000 people, it's still a smaller set of people that we are talking about. But I think the fundamental change that needs to happen is in the society. And I always say this, you know, what the change that needs to happen is change at home mm-hmm. because homes are what is contributing to society. So I take my own home, you know, who cooks dinner? And I get this question all the time, especially when I travel, you know, when my son was, uh, he's a teenager now, but when he was, he was uh, younger, Mm -hmm. I used to get this question, who's cooking dinner at home? And I would ask back saying, you know, why can't my husband cook the dinner? Like, why is the question asked uh, to me? When my husband travels, he never gets a question, who cooks dinner at home? Mm -hmm. Because I'm expected to cook the dinner. So I, for me, what is really important is, you know, as individuals, and this is also where I beyond the organization, individuals, what is it that we can contribute? So we are, we are, if I take my own family, we're just a family of three. My husband and son, both of them have a role to play in how the society shapes, how stereotypes are built. So my son cooks, my 14-year-old cooks, my husband cooks. You know, everyone does the home chores. It's not just my responsibility. This is the change that, that's why I said, I don't think it's a magic wand. It's a larger, pragmatic approach that we need to take. Change homes, change society. Organizations are only a reflection of society. Now in terms of short term, so this probably is going to take 500 years for us to fix, right? How many billion people? Eight billion people, you know, this is not going to happen over there. So this is where organizations come in. So what can organizations do? And I see a lot of organizations and we spoke about job descriptions. I see a lot of organizations writing, you know, equal opportunity. What does equal opportunity actually mean in reality? Equal opportunity, does it only mean that, you know, anyone can apply, but, you know, we will anyway discriminate you once you apply, or is it that you are also talking about equity? So we also always talk about diversity and inclusion, yes, but where is equity? Most of us didn't have the same start point. So what are you doing to address that, even at the hiring level, because everything starts there. Mm -hmm. So a couple of things there. One is the whole equity part. I think this needs to have more of focus. And second, again, we talk so much about diversity diversity is great diversity can be seen you and I sit in a room you know you're a man I'm a woman you can see that we sit in a room you know we are people of color people can see that you can see that but inclusion is what we feel so my uh, uh, whole thought process and what I always talk about is not about diversity and I always say this diversity is only a consequence how inclusive are you How much do you appreciate and understand the uniqueness, the differences that people bring? We are all different. You know, I can tell you, I've been living outside of India for 20 years. I can talk cricket. I cannot talk football. Mm -hmm. And imagine a conversation which is always about football and beer. I'm automatically excluded. So it's having that self-reflection to think, you know, how inclusive I'm at this table where everyone is, is different, even though they might look like me, is different. So two things I would say uh, organizations can definitely take action on is inclusion, and the other one is equity because not all of us have the same start points. Mm
0: -hmm. Powerful, and I I have to agree with you. I mean, I think uh, I recently wrote an article on um, the whole area of inclusiveness or inclusivity, as opposed to diversity, and unpacked it in a lot of detail because um, I think that's something that's not very well understood. It's it's talked about like a lot of things including equity, but actually the implementation of a lot of this stuff is still way off, way off. And so I always worry when more words are added in um, these campaigns and these strategies and programs and not much work is done to measure the real impact at a ground level. Uh, It's a a little bit like, it reminds me of what Indra Nui um, said and I quoted her and I'm trying to make sure I remember the the quote, it was a little bit like, you know, diversity is a program, Uh, I think change is a mindset. And also, sorry, excuse me, she said diversity is a program, inclusivity is a mindset. And it, absolutely, I mean, program, program plus 500 is what diversity is. Inclusivity is very, very much about the feeling of the, of the cultural dynamics of an organization. Also the sensitivity, like, you know, I, I'm talking cricket, you're talking beer, for example, and I don't drink for it, for instance. So what, what, what level of sensitivity do you have to say? Do you know what? It's cool. I want to express myself, but I, I can talk about a thousand things. Let's talk about something Af wants to talk about, as well as talking about the things that um, someone else wants to talk about. So that that sense of awareness and sensitivity, actually, you know what? I, I you know, these hundred episodes that we've done, right, Rishma? Very interesting. Uh, I, last year, I spent a lot of my time interviewing by chance a lot of older people, a lot of people who are in their seventies plus, leaders, authors former CEOs of big companies, ex-hedge fund managers, people who've actually changed the shape of the technology industry, from Bell Labs and to, to, to Nokia, you name it, you know, who are now retired. Finally, after they're all sort of retired per se. Busy, but retired. And that one consistent theme that came from all of them in terms of wisdom was, they said, ah, please, they folded their hands, please, make sure your mavericks in your community hold on to what it means to be human. And I asked them what that means. They said, being human means all of the things we're doing right now. Care, empathy, sympathy, sensitivity, consideration, generosity, love, support, and ensuring that the technology doesn't do all of those things for you. As much as this device is a supercomputer, in fact, in 10 years time, people were like, what, you used phones that were flat, like not even a hologram? And you, you had to hold it in your hands. It wasn't like built into your eyes. You know, we're gonna to get to that time and I worry about that time, I really do. I'm excited about it, but I worry about it. And I think everything you're saying about diversity, inclusion, equity, belonging, people have to do that. You know, and I, what I am seeing in the startup economy, cause I analyze it in a lot of detail, there are loads of startups who are using AI in the recruitment space, as you know, probably better than I do. And it's massive and it's huge and everyone's getting excited and venture funding is going into it like crazy, you know, like it's going out of fashion. And what worries me about all of that is the the idea that all of the human aspects of you talking to me, you make me feel special. You make me feel included. That's what being human is. And if we take that away, and it starts in these organizations, by the way, and then it cascades into our personal lives as well, then I think there could be an explosion that one one doesn't really want. when you think about the future for yourself now and all of the amazing work that you've been doing uh, so talk me through uh, let's imagine you have to step out of this world now you know you're not going to be doing uh, the the transformation job at a or anything like that for that matter I'm gonna I'm going to take you and am going to take you and I'm going to say I'm going to put you anywhere in the world in any job in any role where do you see yourself making the biggest difference on the planet it doesn't matter what the time frame is Rashmi. it could be tomorrow it could be 25 years, could be 10 years, be whatever. Who cares? But forget time and space. What's the next big thing you could do if you had a choice?
1: So, so, so see, this is not something that has changed for me over uh, the past uh, decade. I yeah. think I'm able to articulate it better. That's it. Right. So I truly, truly believe the future of the world and therefore my own future is somewhere at the intersection of technology and people. Now, what is that intersection is a big question. Because we need and you rightly said that the more we are actually getting into these advanced technology, the more we need the truly, truly human emotions, human skills only humans can actually have. So so the, the future really belongs at the intersection of technology and people. And my future as well, I see at the intersection of technology and people. And, you know, as we get into more and more of these advanced technologies, What is also important is really the human skills. And you you spoke about a lot of that empathy, emotions, compassion, you know, all of that, which we cannot teach the machine. Now, what does that entail, that intersection? It's a small intersection, right? Or it's probably a big intersection. We don't know how the future is going to unfold. Right now, I see it as a small intersection of technology and people. And whatever I can do in that to create more impact, uh, especially for the underprivileged, I put it that way, technology can help. So whatever is at work, whatever is, and currently my transformation is completely around that. And, you know, a lot of what we do in our organization, in my own organization, and which is what we are also transforming is to actually give more employability to people, to have that lifelong employability. We Mm. used to always talk about hire to retire. That model is gone now. It's more about employability. At whatever stage you are in your life, in your career, you should be employable and again people with you know take refugees for instance and we are we are in a crisis situation at the moment right? right people leave their homes they don't have credentials so how can you actually give that 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 source of hope that sense of hope to people this is also where technology can help so both people and technology now what does this intersection look like so for me for the past 10 years the roles itself has changed So when I was with a very, very high tech engineering company, it was really about bringing power to the world. Technology helped. But it was, again, I grew up without power and no electricity. So it was really empowering people with electricity to now my current job, which has got nothing to do with electricity. It's got Mm -hmm. to do with employability. But how do you actually use technology to create more employability and create more jobs? So I can't articulate in terms of a role what that would be. But definitely, I do see my future at the intersection of technology and people.
0: Mm, that's amazing. I, it, it reminds me of, you know, the, the old Maslow's hierarchy, right? And if you think about wherever you are in the hierarchy, let's say you are at a point where you don't have food or shelter, then you work really hard if you get the opportunity, uh, you, you filter through the, the, swim through the funnel. And if you are few that have survived, you get the opportunity to then fix the shelter food problem. Then you move on to the next level and then you see another problem and the next level and on. And then eventually you get close to self-actualization or whatever that might look like today. And I guess in certain parts of society, let's call it Western society, just for a moment, I'm not saying Western society is the be all and end all, uh, quite the contrary. Western society is civilized, it's organized, it's structured, it's um, uh, the, the general population is, is sort of vibrating a little bit above the, the, the lower part of the Maslow's hierarchy. It will be interesting, you know, when I find this really intriguing, when I see someone who's come from difficulty, like you said, I didn't have power. I didn't have electricity when I grew up. That, you know, that emotion, it evokes an emotion. There's an association with that. And that triggers you to persevere with passion because it's so close to your heart. You know, these issues of diversity that you and I feel so passionate about, why are we so passionate about it? Well, you know, I'm not white. Neither are you. And so, you know, people who are not, um, you know, uh, of color have other issues. They'll talk about other issues that relate to to what they're going through. It's difficult, difficult for that whole bunch of difficulties they've got to deal with. So this is close to us. But I wonder what's going to happen in the future for our next generation, going back to them. We've given them so much comfort, um, so much support, so much security, uh, so much uh, generosity from the parent to the child that actually, I wonder what their problems are, and the, the, the they're certainly not the Maslow hierarchy problems. I think they're the 21st century problems of mental health. Too much. Lack of, lack of knowing what to value and what not to value. Overabundance. No one really talks about overabundance. We say abundance is good. Abundance is good. But no one talks about overabundance. What do you do with it? There's no more scarcity. You've talked about scarcity so many times. Uh, but You and and myself too, I have to be honest, a lot of what I do is defined by what I didn't have and what I I feel now other people should have. Let's be be honest about it. But my kids and your kids and their kids, uh, they'll have to think about a different sort of purpose. What I feel good about is their purpose, hopefully, will be about all of those that intersection you talked about, which is is complex, which is um, experiential, which is much deeper and uh, more to do with the the mind and the management of the self rather than the management of others and the wider organization. It's, you know, me, uh, we, and the wider world. There's a lot of me right now, which whilst we worry about it, I think I'm hopeful that in the future, if you can address the me and figure out who me is, because I certainly didn't, uh, and I had to go through many traumas To get to this point in my life, unfortunately, I got there in my 40s. But, you know, there are people in their 70s who haven't figured it out. (laughs) Excuse me. This generation is wired in the right way to do it. So I think the work you're doing, and I think this amazing journey that you've described, where you've come from, where you're now, how you approach things, it's so refreshing. And as a leader, you know, I wish you will just... It continues to thrive and excel in your ideas, your ideology, your way of doing things. And actually at some point also jump ship to making a difference. I really believe this. You have to make a difference at ground level after a certain point. I'm certainly going in that direction now. Like, yeah, I can build another company or two, of course, and a few more zeros in the bank and you know, drive a few more Teslas. And I don't know, feel good about myself. But in reality, that's not a life that's that's fulfilling, is it really? If this was my last breath, today was my last breath, I want to look back and say, gosh, at least I did something for the world, for other people, even if it's for my core microcosm, my family. So you're doing wonderful work. It is, uh, it's been such a pleasure talking to you, and uh, just your energy's been great. You know, I've elevated myself with your energy, your style, your smile. Uh, and again, one small little thing I want to say for the, the viewers who are watching this, please don't forget to smile, God forbid, I mean, which, <laughs> being human is about smiling too. I've seen so many people are so serious and, um, you know, so intense all the time. And I think being human is about, you know, a mix of everything. So your, your smile brings out a personality and a personality is what makes us human. This is where, this is the direction we're sort of going in. So, Rashma, thank you so much. Uh, before I close off, anything else you want to say um, that hasn't been said? for our viewers. Any any final words for our viewers that you believe will get them thinking, you know, because we have a lot of mavericks. We talk about straight talk mavericks. Um, these mavericks need to 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 do something here. So a few final
1: words. Yeah, there, there is just one thing that I would say. And you know you you touched upon that when you were talking or uh, describing the next generation with who 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 are growing up in over abundance. This is what we call as privilege. So I just want to leave with this to to the viewers. Uh, You know, privilege is not bad. Privilege is not something that you should be ashamed of. Privilege is not something that is negative. It's about how you use your privilege. We all have privileges in some shape and form. We all have certain privileges. You know, I think about my privileges. I grew up without electricity. We didn't have running water. This is a privilege in the sense of uh, it opens up my mind to being more empathetic. This is a privilege. Can I teach empathy to others? Absolutely, I can. I'm using my privilege to teach. So don't ever look at privilege as something that's bad, that's something that's negative, something that's ashamed of. You need to be ashamed of and, you know, sit back in a corner and say, oh, you know what? Now I'm being accused of having privilege, so I'll do nothing. No, privilege is not something bad. Use your privilege. You can do greater good with the privileges you have.
0: Powerful. Yeah, privilege is good. You can do great things with the privilege that you have. So absolutely, totally agree. Final, final request. It's been about an hour. We've been talking also. Uh, tell, tell me how you feel at the end of this hour um, and what sort of input would you give us and me in, in terms of your experience with Straight Talk? How, how's it been for you? Some, some um, words from you would be really quite nice. Thank you.
1: So, you know, I have to say you kept up both to your promise at the beginning as well as the name. It's really straight talk. And, you know, and I think I mentioned this at the beginning, I completely enjoy when I can be candid, like there is no filter. So keep up. There is nothing that I can say that you can improve because you're really bringing out the unfiltered part of, of whoever is on the show. So me, in, for instance, I've been completely unfiltered. And you have a great, great way of bringing out um, the, the hidden aspects. So the way you ask questions, the way you are actually articulating the story to build up to the question, it's just amazing.
0: Well, thank you. Um, my, my gratitude to you. And we'd love to have you on the show back at some point in the future and support us, please, with this not-for-profit mission. And we'll, if you're up for it, we'll put you onto the Straight Talk uh, Mavericks WhatsApp community where we have a lot of our speakers and we do a lot of wild, um, you know, creative destruction work in there, and would love to have you participate. Thank you, Reshma, today. You've been uh, such an amazing guest and uh, looking forward to having you back on the show at some point. Good luck on your mission, and uh, may the Straight Talk force be with you. Thanks, Al.
1: Thanks, Reshma.